welcome back episode number 62 of the New York Pages podcast in partnership with Inside the Rink. I'm your host, Jacob Berkowitz, and I'm alongside my co-host, Brett Luca. And today, we're going to be talking about the last two games ever since the trade. Uh, we're going to be discussing that huge third period versus Carolina, and also a few segments, including a brand new one. And uh, yeah, let's get to it. And we are back. The Rangers are on a five-game winning streak. Guys, how's it going? Super Bowl Sunday is fucking great. Let's do this. I, per- I personally think that the reason why aliens have shown up everywhere is it's just coincidence that the Rangers trade for Tarasenko and look like they're going to be a Stanley Cup contending team. I think they're here to watch. That's just my theory. That's a it's like a Space Jam spinoff. Yeah, exactly. They're like they want to see this thing happen. Yeah. I mean, Fair. last night, personally, for me, like, listen, the First two periods were not pretty, you know, but when the Rangers came up in the third, they showed up, they got the job done. I mean, listen, good teams like Brett, I was speaking to earlier, good teams obviously have the good games and win, but it's the great teams that when they're not playing great, they still find a way to win. And that's, that's how you got to play come playoff time. Because in a seven game series, you're not always going to be at a hundred percent. You're going to have bad periods sometimes and mediocre teams take those bad periods and they get down and they don't come back. And that's how they lose and lose series. Um, Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, And that's how that usually works, you know? So I, yeah, this team, and I think it's something that was a little bit different from the beginning of the season where I felt like they didn't have that comeback spirit, you know, Um, not saying that this is necessarily the reason, but ever since how the helmet throw from Truba, they've been a lot more resilient. And when they have had bad periods, they have come back and they have shown a lot of resiliency. So, yeah, the team is looking poised right now. And also, you know, you're more often than not, your bad periods are going to come against teams that are good because they're doing stuff that are making you play bad. You know what I mean? Like, uh, and it's just, that's just kind of the way it is. And it's going to kind of be an ebb and flow, especially when you have two teams like the Rangers and Hurricanes who've, gotten to know each other pretty well in the past 12 months. Um so yeah, I, I'm it's they're they're trending in the right direction right now. And it, you know it's obviously just really exciting, especially when the last podcast we did, it was right after the trade. And I think Tarasenko scored probably when we were done recording. Um so it, it's it's just really exciting to see obviously where they could go, you know, right now. Yeah, there's really nothing holding them back right now. Um, when you think about what they might need, if they are are still going to make any moves uh, before the deadline, um, it, it's like, you know, maybe we could start getting greedy, <laughs> looking at how we could fill everything out. But I, I think all the pieces are there to make a legit run. And, and playing a back-to-back and a scheduled loss, I mean, against – uh, against the Canes, you know, a likely uh, opponent for us in the playoffs and also coming off against the Kraken. Uh, it just shows that this team is ready to to handle anyone. Um, I'm not scared of literally anyone right now. I'm not saying we're just going to roll through anyone. I'm not that deluded and crazy, but it's it's hard to look at this team and not think they have as good a shot as anybody anymore right now. Well, also, like, we didn't even touch on this, but Halak played pretty damn well last night. I mean, the the two goals he gave up were, the, you know, obviously, like, one of them, he's really out of position, but also, like, it 
you know, banked in off of Goudreau's foot or knee. Uh, and then the first one hit off of Miller's foot. Like, you know, deflection, you know, last second deflections like that are extremely difficult for goalies to deal with. So, like, you know, usually I don't, you know, necessarily give them a pass, but you, you kind of look at them with a different, uh, you know, lens as opposed to just like, uh, you know, a shot from the point that like he saw clearly, you know, it's different. For sure. And and it's something that Berkey and I were talking about, you know, that I think it's really interesting that he gets better as the game goes on for sure, because first period uh, last night and in the last game that he played to, I guess it was last Monday, um, when he started off, he looked like he was having trouble with his angles and his position. Something I've noticed is sometimes he doesn't actually hug the post properly and is leaving some room over there. Um, but as the game goes on, he seems to get tighter and tighter. And man, he's been he's been better than I think anyone else could have absolutely hoped for. Uh, bringing in an old, I mean, what's he like, 36, 37, something like that? Um, a lot of goals yeah, he, hit that he, age and fall way off, and he's not. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, like, it's actually really interesting, too, because especially like given the slow start that he started off with, he was like, what, over like six or seven in his like first whatever starts, right? He had a really bad start to the year for himself. Yeah, but weren't didn't the Rangers like only score like they weren't one or good two either, goals? You're right. Yeah, yeah. I, I I was just gonna say I don't think that even when he was not getting the wins, I don't think it was really his fault. Um some people online You're right, were blaming but the, him. The fit but like there's a large portion of the fan base and like you know, you check in on Twitter and people are like, Man, Halak is terrible. It's like well, actually, like, you know, the Owen seven or whatever it was, you're right, wasn't necessarily his fault. Um, but it is nice to see him kind of string together a bunch of wins lately. Oh, for sure. But I, and, and that is something that I think it's one of the things that annoys me most about like low level analysts in all sports, not just hockey, where everyone's just so results oriented. And I get it, results are what ultimately matter. But if you're actually talking about how to how a player is performing, how a team is performing, you can't just look at the box score. You can't just say, well, Halak had six, seven losses, he's playing terrible. It's like, no, he wasn't. Uh, I mean, he's playing better now than during that time because, I mean, I do remember a few weak goals here and there. But even the games where he had a weak goals, I was always really impressed by how that didn't cause a flood of goals and he was still able to fight back and make some really nice plays and really nice saves uh, that showed resiliency on his part that was really impressive and made me feel comfortable having him as a backup even when he wasn't racking up the wins because – I mean, a goalie can only do so much. You got to have goal support. It's just like a good starting pitcher. It's like yeah. it doesn't it doesn't matter. You could go out there and 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 give up, you know, one run. Um, you know, and if your team can't score two runs, the Mets, uh, you're going to end up losing, um, you know, more games than than uh, uh, an ace pitcher should. So that's just the nature of the position, the beast. But he's been good all year long, but getting better. And and man, what a great pickup. And I also have to think. Ben Waller has something to do with it too, because yeah. he's just he's just magic with getting wringing the last bit of juice he can out of every goalie he's he works with. It's pretty impre- incredible. It's so consistently too, so consistent. Yeah. And when was the last time we had a truly bad backup goalie that you were just like, oh god, he's starting tonight? I mean, like we've had like bad. Bad, bad goalies that have like jumped in for a game or two, but those guys weren't the sole backups. You know what I mean? I was just my brother sitting right here, and he was about to say Mackenzie Skapsky, 
And I was just like, okay. and, and that was like, and that was like the, that was the name that I was going to bring up. It's so funny, but like, he was like a spot starter for like a game or two. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think he had more than five games in his NHL career. Um, right. I mean, so, legit backup goalie that's actually working yeah. with Benoit all year long. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I, I you're right. It's, it's been, I, I, I don't even really, I don't really remember who the backup was. Like, obviously like you had Weeksy uh who wasn't bad but like after weeks like i don't remember who the backup was during those like long twist years where he was playing like 65 games a year oh it's val cut yeah you're right yeah valley valley ronta ronta talbot a couple other guys too but like i'm sure i'm sure i'm missing a few in there but yeah it was never it was it's never been a situation where i'm i'm like oh god this is we're no way we're we're winning this game because we got him in that because he's always able to get really strong performances out of his backup goalie. So, yeah. Yep. So I wanted to like, you know, talk about uh, the third period. Cause I mean, if Panarin continues this and it's just a blazer, it's, you have the kid line, right? And the kids are on fire. If you add Panarin to the mix where he, he's who he was beforehand. And I think that it's, the reason behind one of the reasons behind that is because of Tarasenko. Um, that might sound silly because they weren't always on the same lines. And when he scored four goals, right, he wasn't on the same line. But it's just rejuvenating, right? When you add that piece, and he is his friend. I I know it's kind of iffy to say, but I I think that kind of um kind of lit a fire under him. You oh, yeah. know, I I don't necessarily disagree with that. I think that like it's. When you and like you, you hear this a lot, like when and this is like fringe teams almost, or uh, when like they're like, Oh, yeah, you know, we made a big deal for this player, XYZ. So, you know, it that, that feeling in the locker room of like, we're going for it, uh, I think is infectious. Um, you know, how much it means that like, you know, he's it's like they added his friend, I, it's it's tough to really gauge, you know what I mean? But like, let's look at last year, like they traded for Trubus Boys. Um, and uh, cop and and Mott, uh, and you know, like cop, you know, especially like had a really easy, good transition, especially Mott as well. I mean, he, he got hurt obviously in April, uh, but came back strong for the playoffs. So, like, there is there is some, uh, a certain factor to that. How much of it, I have no idea. You know, I, I think it really just comes down to our time. He needs to shoot, um, he needs to shoot more, and you know, that that's. I think it was his first goal last night, right? When uh, VC made the pass to Trocheck and then Trocheck, it was like a two on one. That was his first goal, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, how many times do we see players on this team skate the puck an extra, like, you know, instead of shooting where Fernand shot it, taking the puck an extra three or four strides and then trying to pass cross crease back to Trocheck. Like very rarely do we see players on this team actually just rip it. Um, and I think that, you know, is what he needs to do more, but it also might've caught the uh, uh, goalie off, off guard a little bit, you know? Um, I think it's something that, that he needs to do, especially at, you know, more so than all the other players. I think, you know, Lafreniere and Kako are right in that same category because they need to, uh, you know, talking to uh, – or, you know, kicking it back to our a few episodes ago with uh, Bill Pito, you know, I think that those two defer too much. Um, and 
to like the older players. I think Panarin just defers because he just likes to pass so much. He's he's good at it. Um, but it's just I think he needs to shoot the puck more. And he shot the puck a lot yesterday and he had four goals. So keep doing it. That's yeah, all I'll and, say. and it's it's not even just that he needs to shoot more. Um I think he's also that he needs to shoot better because there's been games where he did shoot the puck a lot and he was missing the net horribly or putting it center mass. And that's where I do think having a guy like Tarasenko, a buddy of his on the team, makes a big difference. I mean, look, I think all too often people think of players as not human and like these emotional robots. And you I like a great example for me is like if I'm like I, I play in a band, I play music. When I'm playing music with people that are really good and that I really enjoy, I perform way, way, way better than the people that are just, even if they're able to hold it down, they don't mess up, they don't cause mistakes. But the energy that you can feed off of like that, and it's the same, I think, even if you examine your own personal life, it's like the difference between hanging out with five coworkers after work that you don't really know versus five of your buddies that you knew, really know. Are you funnier and more lively and more interesting when you're talking with your buddies than you are, you know, your, your colleagues and coworkers? Because sure. that, that's what having relationships does. And there is that human connection, that human bond. And that is extremely important, especially when you're talking about team chemistry. Chemistry is not just skill sets that complement and overlap each other. It's also personalities because it's an emotional game and it's an emotional sport and that matters. So I think even though Tarasenko wasn't like he was on the line and feeding Panarin for those four goals, it doesn't matter. The fact that he's on the team now, I think does give him more confidence and it makes him a better player. Um, and I think we're going to see that down the stretch. So I don't think it's ridiculous to say that Tarasenko had an impact on Panarin for that four goal game. Not at all. I like how though, like everything went right on Friday. Like, Tarasenko came in with Panarin and then like Kako, they reported like Kako comes in. I I I really gotta learn how to pronounce his name. Mikola, right? Isn't it Mikola? Is it Mikola? I'm sorry. Jesus, I'm sorry. No, okay, Mikola, right? Nico Mikola. Nico Mikola. Yeah, that, that's that's an awful. Anyway, um, you know, like we have Miko Mikola and Kako Kapo Kako. That's fun. Right. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. he was finished and Kako was like excited about that. Like I, I'm not really into like the cry advantage. I like anything like that, but it's just, it's nice to see though. Like it helped rejuvenate the locker room and yeah, like th there's nothing, there's not a lot to take away from Mikola and Tarasenko's first two games, even if they, even if they did play bad in some shape, some, some form, because like, remember Tarasenko has only played with St. Louis. His whole entire career has never experienced gotten traded or playing for another team. And within 24 hours after being traded, again, it, it's that human element that Brett said that a lot of people don't recognize that within after 24 hours, he's playing back-to-back -back games. And with Mikola, you, you don't know the defensive structure yet. You don't know what Brian Schneider's thinking yet or his skill set yet, right? So, like, it, it's not fair to evaluate. And it's also everyone was questioning why was Tarasenko only getting, I believe, 14 minutes Averaging 14 minutes. Well, yeah, that, that is smart of Golan to do because you you got to let Tarasenko get acclimated to the system, to his players. He's never experienced any of this before. And, and it is kind of a blessing that we don't have a game till Wednesday because it, it gives Tarasenko time with practices, with just the players around him to get more used to it. And, and same. Not, not, not to mention the kid has, or the guy has four kids, like that are all, you know what I mean? Like that's a different 
you know what I mean? That's a, it's a whole uprooting your entire family. So like, yeah, it's like, you know, a few off days is, is nice after probably a crazy, like three days for him, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, it was, listen, like Tarasenko scored, what, it was it on his first shot on goal? I believe it was his first yeah. shot on goal. Yeah, it was his first yeah. shot, yep. Yep. Yeah. So like, it's not like it was playing bad, but even so, if you weren't a fan of the way one of them were playing either in Carolina or Seattle, there's nothing to take from that. I mean, two games in, it shows absolute nothing. Um, I, I am though 100% convinced Tarasenko told Panarin to shoot more. I know that sounds ridiculous, but man, did Panarin fire that thing every chance he got versus Carolina. It was he, he didn't, amazing. he didn't hesitate at all. That's you're right. I, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah, no, because, like, I don't know. I, I haven't seen Panarin like that in a while, in a long, long time. Heck, probably this season even, because I have never seen him just get the puck shit. He's always waiting to try to create a play, to pass it either for a one-time or, or throw it to the net, not for an actual shot, but for a rebound. And it's one thing if Panarin just wasn't good at shooting. Okay, fine, I get it. But he has such a good shot. That's what makes it fresh. I'm like, Panarin, you, you got a good shot. Yeah, you could beat majority of goalies in the league, if not every. So, you know, I remember when Lundqvist was uh, still on the team. He said that Panarin had the best shot by far, the most deceptive and hardest for him, at least. Um, obviously, you know, Mika has a great shot and everything, but I thought that was interesting. I think it's more like Zabanejad has a harder shot, but Panarin, I think, yeah. has a more accurate shot. There was a really interesting article on, uh, I think it was the Players' Tribune a few years ago. Jonathan Quick wrote, uh, it's a cool, if ever you don't know what the Players' Tribune is, like it's a athletes, like it's, I think it's Derek Jeter's company, um, but athletes pretty much write their own articles. Now they might have like a ghostwriter as well, and they narrate it, but athletes write it themselves, and it's from their perspective, and, and Jonathan Quick wrote it. Um, Burke, you might enjoy it too because you're a goalie. Uh, but he wrote it and he broke down like the five hardest, uh, shooters to go against. Um, and like each one he broke down, like why, like this guy's so difficult. Uh, you know, obviously like Ovechkin just cause he has like, just like sheer power. But then there was like, uh, I can't remember everyone that he put on the list. Um, but like one of the guys basically, he said, he's like, and this is before Matthews, like really, uh, kind of like blew up and became one of the, you know, the premier goal scorers in the league. So Matthews wasn't on it, but the guy who I can't remember who it was, but he like, he said, he's like, this guy doesn't open his hips until the last possible moment. So you, you, you don't know a, if he's shooting or passing and then you B, you don't really know where he's going to go with it. Cause he hasn't committed anywhere yet. Um, I thought it was a very interesting, it's a really cool article. If anyone, if anyone can Google it, find it. It's, it's really interesting. Um, but yeah. I don't know. Okay, so question for you both. Now, I saw this on Twitter, and I was thinking about it. Now, be before let me finish before you say, Jacob, that is stupid. You know, throw uh, virtual tomatoes at me. But think about it for a sec. Would you, for right now, split up the kid line to see other line of combinations to understand what works and what doesn't work because you know what you have right now works or would you just keep it out as it is? I, you know what? Like 
what I would do means nothing because Gallant is going to change all the combos 17 times before the end of the season. Uh, I personally would keep the kid line together just because they are all playing pretty well right now together. Um, I probably wouldn't have switched Panarin off of the Tarasenko and Zibanejad line. Uh, but you know what? That worked out pretty well last night. So maybe what the hell do I know? You know, um, I, I do think that like the one of the benefits of the blender system that he employs uh, is that come playoff time, when you do have a lot of, uh, you know, injuries or whatever, it's, you know, it's, it's such a far, um, such a long tournament, basically that you, you, you're going to, you, you know, your top three lines, top four lines are going to change, you know, sporadically. Uh, one of the benefits of them changing the lines so much throughout the season is that they kind of got to look at what works and what doesn't so far. Um, which is odd because last year in the playoffs, they went with a line that they didn't even really look at, which was the kid line until the playoffs last year, really. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I personally would keep something together. Uh, uh, if it's not, you know, broke, don't fix it. But, you know, uh, I think we all know what Galan's going to do. He's just, at, a, at a certain point, he's going to change shit up. Um, <clears throat> shout out to Hockey Set Miner for this question here. Um, <laughs> That's what it is. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I knew exactly what you're going with. Yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. You know that line works, so why not move around and see if there isn't something else that works better for all three? Um, however, I think at the end of the day, it's going to come back to that line is going to be rolling in the playoffs anyway. So you're going to be looking at basically your remaining six forwards for the top nine, moving them around and figuring out who plays best with who. Um, but Honestly, it is a question where it's like us hypothesizing about what would be the right thing to do. It, it, it especially doesn't matter, like Lucas said, because Gallant's going to be moving around anyway. And the one thing that I want to say is that, and this is that this is that bias again of results where people are like, oh well, it worked last night, so Gallant knows what he's doing. No, he he's 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 doing stuff that sometimes you make the wrong move and the right thing happens. That happens sometimes in life that you can make the wrong decision and it turns out well for you. I don't think that his constant line blender is the move to make that. I think it's better to let people find a rhythm with their players and let them gel, get the chemistry going. I think that's a much better system than constantly changing it up every two seconds. Um, I wish he would just let things work. Like I'm not, I'm not saying that he can't jumble stuff up and change stuff up around, especially for game situations where you're like, I, I you know, I want him playing in this situation versus this matchup and, and this you know, part of the game, totally fine with all that, but just the constant, ah, I don't think this is working. Switch it up, switch it up, switch it up, switch it up. I just don't think that's the best strategy. And I, and honestly, I just don't see a lot of teams that do that and are really successful in the long run. It seems like the best teams usually have pretty damn stable lines unless there's injuries, you know? So that's my two cents on that question. Well, yeah. I mean, like it makes sense. that players got to get used to each other, understand, what the other one's thinking, what their role is on that line. I mean, yeah, it, it doesn't it doesn't perfect itself over one, two games. You know, you, you got to give it time. But re regarding Zabanajad and Panarin <laughs> together, 
I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I just want to mention Rob Luker did mention that in the past, it hasn't always been great offensively as people would think it would be. So maybe having Kreider's advantage at Tarasenko, if Panarin, obviously he's not scoring four goals every game, but if Panarin is rejuvenated now and him and Trocek do work and you have either VC or heck, maybe you go out and get another guy and then you have that kid line, I, I think that could work really, really well. I I, th- I think it can too. Uh, you know, you know, talking about, uh, you know, like Zibanejad and, and Panera not necessarily being great together. I I, I kind of love what Vince had spoken about in his last uh, episode of his podcast. He, you know, he basically talked about how they alluded to the fact that, you know, over Panera's first few years here, he, they really haven't played much together. They really split up. They split the two of them up quite a bit, and they're not really used to playing together. Um, and like, yeah, I believe he had said that they were uh, like really cognizant of that and that they were really working on it, which is hilarious because they played one game together and or four periods after that uh, interview or that after he had said that and they got, they already broke them up. Uh, so it is, it, but you know, it is, it is annoying. I, I think it is good that you could see like, Hey, you know, uh, VC Trocek and Panarin worked for a night. Um, they, they seem to generate a, a lot of offense or a decent amount of offense. Um, is that going to be the case all the time? Who knows? Maybe they just had a really good matchup. Um, you know, it may, maybe, maybe things just bounce the right way for them. Who the hell knows? Uh, I, I think that it is, it's just frustrating, especially for fans, because I think we, we, we kind of, as Brett said, I don't remember a Stanley Cup champion that switched the lines so much and jumbled them up and, you know, granted, like I had, you know, when there is a, we don't, I, you know, the Rangers haven't won a cup since I was three and a half years old. So I've never really followed a team for an entire season while they won a cup. So that, that, you know, maybe, maybe there has been a team that has, has jumbled the lines a lot. Um, and, and it worked out fine for him in the end. Uh, it's just hard. I think a lot of fans want to like latch on to something like the kid line or like the, you know, uh, it, it's fun when you have like line names that you could just kind of go with and then you watch them and you, know, and you get to kind of, uh, it's comforting to know that those guys are together and stuff. And it just makes it a little chaotic for us as well. So I wanted to ask you guys a question before we move on to our next segment of Q&A. Two questions. Regarding the third line, or let's say the second line, which the kid line kind of switch up with, um, the line of Kreider, Trocek, and if VC's there or whoever's there, do you think we should go after a guy, say like either Max Domi, or maybe if the Rangers are confident enough that Nyquist would return, maybe do like a conditional pick? where they retain 50% or you think maybe we should go after a guy to solidify the fourth line? I think it all depends on, I mean, this is the thing that just really bothers him right now is that I just feel like we already have the skilled guy to be able to slot in there, uh, but they just refuse to see it in Kratzov. And so he's going to be dealt. So it's like, 
I guess if we're going to be dealing him away, we might as well get somebody like that, you know, um, that can hopefully slot in and do that. Uh, I just personally would rather have him in there and then have a fourth line. And then you pick up a guy like Mott for the fourth line and have just an absolute elite shutdown line of like Goodrow, Mott, and VC. That just makes way more sense to me than trying to force VC into again another like top six situation. Um, where, where like he, it's not like he's even like he's horrible in that top six. I'm not even trying to say that. It's just like that's not where his skill set really is. That's not where he's going to play and give you the best hockey for the team. Um, so yeah, fuck it. Why not? I mean, <laughs> if you're not going to use them, then then yeah, sure, we should go after somebody like that. I mean, look, I, I like you already said, I I kind of believe that they have everything they need. Um, I would love to add Mott or a Mott type player that I don't even know about, you know, cause this time last year, I didn't know anything about Tyler Mott and he fit in like the love and I love, him. um, and I, I don't, I feel like there are players like Mott out there that aren't named Mott. Uh, you, so, uh, had a few you know what I mean? Like, like there, there's a lot of fourth line players out there on bad teams that are solid players that you could find now you know uh you already saw it work with mott i don't necessarily think you need to try and reinvent the wheel if, if you if you can get a deal in place for mott that's at a good price or a, you know a good price then i would go with him i don't necessarily uh need to see so many other different bells and whistles i think the more the more players are pieces that you add that you don't really know about, you know, jury's hit on a few players so far. And obviously we'll see what happens, you know, in the long run with uh, Mikola and uh, Tarasenko. He's hit a lot so far on his first two deadlines. Um, I just, I I don't know. I'm I'm indifferent. I, I don't really, I know it's such a dumb answer for a podcast. I'm just indifferent on it. You know, it depends on the price, I guess, is the most important thing. Who we give up, um, I think, would be the ultimate, uh, you know, deterrent for me. Yeah, I, I feel the same. I'm content right now, so I, I don't feel the need to uh, to get another shiny toy before the playoffs. It's also, though, that, like, people say, oh, let's go get Barbashev. Like, remember, we got our guy in Tarasenko already, like – there are some teams that Barbashev is their guy. So they're going to be willing to pay a lot more than we're going to be willing to pay. So as a Yankee fan, just going and getting all the, you know, the new toys doesn't really always work. Very rarely does it. Um, You know, and I know that like, that's not the same exact thing, especially at a deadline. Um, But, you know, it's, you got to find the right players. And uh, as opposed to the, all the good players, you know what I mean? So I think that we're, we're, we're looking for the right pieces of the puzzle to put in right now. Um, those guys that you had mentioned could very well be, uh, the, you know, the final pieces to the puzzle. I don't know. Um, but it also really just comes down for me, just to the price. Um, I don't think he's overpaid on any trade, uh, trade deadline so far. Um, you know, I think that, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, th- I think he's done really well so far. So I, I, I trust I trust what he does with the deadline. Oh, Drury, Drury, for sure, is masterclass the past two deadlines. Absolutely. Um, all right, I think we're going to go to the next segment, Q&A. 
Um, so, Brett, I figured we start with you. Is well, literally, right? What we were saying is Tyron our best option right now for the fourth line, or is there another better option out there? Nope, he's the best. Honestly, it just I, it's it's not even it's not even that there's not like like Lucas saying it's not like there's not another guy out there that could fill in and be fine. It's just when you already have a known quantity that you know works. And I've watched Mott play for years, and he's always been that guy. He's an energizer bunny fourth line guy um, that's going to give you everything you want out of a fourth liner. He's just perfect, the ideal. So, yeah, there's other ones out there, I'm sure, but why gamble on someone that may or may not fit in when you know he does? It just doesn't make sense not to. Right. I couldn't um, have said it better. By the way, apologies. I, I should have named the person. It was Matt uh, NYR from Twitter. Uh, all right, we'll go to the next question for you from Paco Taco. After his performance last night, how many games has Brett locked himself on that line? Uh, I mean, I, I don't even think we go games. I think we go periods with Galam, you know? It's like, uh, I, I would say probably, I mean, I would say maybe two. Yeah, I was going to um, say, it's it's two periods. It, it's, it's I, I would say if, if we're going to go games, it's probably two games. But if they if they play bad, against Vancouver, which is a possibility. I mean, it's possibility play, play, play better, you know, anywhere or any, any, I guess anyone. Um, I would say it, probably two games, um, but the schedule they have coming up, they, they could get going. Um, so, you know, it, it might be the rest of the, the, the Western road trip, but I don't know if that line will be together by the time they get back to New York. So. Right. Uh, this question comes from Capo Caco enthusiast. Um, I figured this is kind of a more like a bigger question. So I think we could all chip in here. What do you think Hito will be willing to realistically take in terms of money, considering we offer him a contract? I'm oh, not considering. I'm sorry, I'm reading this wrong. Uh, what, what would basically Hito probably, what would the contract look like with him? Oof, uh, what it will look like, I'm not sure. I feel like they're going to have to bridge him. There, there's no way they're going to really be able to, I haven't really looked at the, the cap situation. I know it's not great next year. Um, I do feel like uh, the more goals that Heedle scores, the more you're guaranteeing that Barkley Goudreau might not be on the team next year. Uh, he's going to oh, have he can't. to. It's imp- I don't think it's even possible. He can't. Yeah, yeah no, he he's got to go. He's got to go. It's it's just like you know what I mean. Like, and I look, I love watching him play. He's he's I I I love him. Um, but I I just don't see how you're gonna re up. Um, Heedle, Lafreniere, Lafreniere should be probably about the same contract that Kako has right now. Um, maybe even less. Um, and that'll be like a two year deal, and that's fine. Um. Miller is also an issue. Ravioli, stop it. Just hold on. You, uh, yeah. This fucking dog. Um, he just took a bone and just dropped it on a hardwood floor. So it's just like <laughs> scratching and like making so much noise in the middle of that. Um, Miller Miller, and Heedle are, are, are going to be a problem. Um, the good news is, is that all three of them are RFAs. Um, but you know, but is I, arbitration we, eligible. Yeah. Um, so you're, they're going to have to – I would – I think Heedle is going to probably be between like a like a four – I want to say like 
four to five million dollar bridge deal, like a two year, four million dollar bridge deal, something like that in that range. And I could be completely wrong. Uh, I That's also maybe wishful thinking. I don't know. Yeah. So when I look at it, um, I mean, we do have some variables we don't because we haven't we still don't know exactly how much a cap's going up yet. Right. No. I know. I know. Batman yeah, said, he said it was going up. He said it was going up a lot, or not a lot, but like more. And then he reneged on that. So like, yeah, really it was like it was like one. So that's obviously going to play a variable. And also, he said where one million, but was like that. That was like the that was that was supposed to be the floor, right? But it if was like, everything goes right in the playoffs, it's all if all the big markets are deep in the playoffs, it, it could be more. Hopefully, yeah. So I mean, obviously, that's going to play a big factor into it. Um, I think if you're looking at his contract, you have to look at some comps, and I think the most apt comp right now is probably Dylan Strom, who just signed for a five by five deal. Um, and he does better than Dylan Strom, I think, on every planet, on every asset, and every way you could possibly measure that. So if he was actually getting an extension, I think that's where it starts. Um, and I think and that, you know, that's also for five years, though, right? Yeah, it's it's a five by five. Yeah. Yeah. So that that I mean, honestly, like that's not a bad deal. I would sign up for that immediately as a Ranger fan. Five by five for Heedle. But the only thing is, is that how you know um, how would Heedle sign that? Yeah. yeah, I don't I don't know if he would want to get into like a long term. You know, what I mean, this is also like you know, if you look at his perspective, would he want to sign a long term deal? Because like if he signs a bridge deal and then continues at the trajectory he's on he could sign for much more than five um, shortly after that. You know what I mean? So I, I would look if, if, if he would take a five by five, I would do that in a heartbeat. Uh, sign that yesterday. You know. yep. Yeah. I'd love for them to extend him now and just yeah. lock him up. Um, I, it is my biggest fear that this organization doesn't value him to the same degree we as fans do and doesn't actually get a deal going. It's like my biggest fear that they go, eh, well, we already got Trocheck. We'll have to get somebody cheaper as he's just gonna have to be a cap casualty. It's like the biggest fear that I have. I don't think that's what's gonna happen, but I'm still nervous about it. And until I see ink on the paper and I see what that deal is, I'm still gonna be a little fearful of it. But yeah, I think likely just because of the cap situation, like Lucas said, we're gonna be looking at a shorter term deal. Um, but I think if we are going to extend any longer, if the cap goes up enough to be able to do that, if we are able to dump enough cap, it's it's. I think it starts at a five by five and beyond because that's what Strom just got, and he's better than Strom. So to answer Copacock uh, enthusiast question, that's that's what it is. I think. Well, the, the thing with, I'm sorry, no, I just sorry, mentioned the thing with Dylan Strom. It you could compare it to an extent, but remember what Dylan Strom is doing now is his ceiling, right? Like this is as good as he's going to get with yeah, Hedl. Right. He's only going to get better. Right. So you could compare it to an extent. Okay. This is the number it starts with. That's what I mean. That starts there. It, yeah. it starts with, it's not going to be 5 million. I mean, obviously everyone's saying, why don't the Rangers block Hedl up now? Why don't they call his agent and say, Hey, you know, let's do this now. Why in the world would Hedl do that? It's only well, going also, up. Hedl might, you know, do it because let's face it coming into the season, he really hadn't produced that much. Well, he's, he, he, we're, we're, he he already broke uh, his record or his uh, personal best for, um, what is it, uh, goals in a season and assists. And we're in early February. 
Yeah, we're not, the Super Bowl hasn't even happened yet. You know what I mean? So, like, obviously, this is the first time he's really excelled, and you know, this is the first time he's really been relied upon as much as he has. Um, but you know, if, if you're if you're an agent, you know, like, I obviously you want to get the most for your client, but also like, you know, I I think it also comes down to if you're the Rangers. Dude, you've, you've done it for a year. You know what I mean? Like, we can't give you the bag after one year. So it's not – I think he has to – you know, I think most agents and, and people are, are, you know, realistic about it. And I, I think that that's – they're going to kind of – you know, obviously, like, you know, it's a negotiation, so you're going to have both sides of the argument uh, being brought across the table, and I think they'll, they'll wind up somewhere in the middle. And honestly, I think the other factor in this, too, is one of our – the best parts about being a Rangers fan is, is that people want to play here – but Heedle has come up here. He's only played here, obviously, since he's our draft pick. Um, I find that usually when you talk to Europeans, too, they, they tend to like New York City more than other American cities, too, uh, just because it is a more diverse culture. And they, you know, it's easier to find things that are, you know, from their homeland, too, even for, you know, something like Czechia. Um, it just, I think that's a big appeal. Plus, this is a team that is competing and ready to compete. And, you test, you know, you you want to test the market and, and go somewhere else or, or, you know, stick your uh, feet in the sand and say, I'm not going to, you know, accept less than this. You know, you could end up on a, in a city you don't like with people you don't know and having to do all that all over again. And then you're not even on a contending team. Maybe that helps keep the price down a little bit on him. Yeah. Uh, well, it's my hope. Let's think about it this way though. At his best, where you think, what is he going to be worth? At his best, where where do you think his ceiling is? Six point five million, seven. I mean, I mean, are you talking? Like, are you talking the duration of his career? I'm talking in the next four years. I mean, I don't. It's it's so hard to gauge because, like, uh, I mean, like he's on pace to hit thirty goals. So if he can consistently hit 30 goals for the next four years, then yeah, that's, that's 7 million or more. Um, also, but I, you know what I mean? Like I, I can't say that he's worth that now. He's not, but like, no, if but he could what do- I'm saying is, is that that's what you do. You in, as a middle ground, right. One side has got to say, this is what his potential is, right? Why would we sign for five and it'll be in the middle somewhere. Right. So if they're coming along and saying, well, let's say it's a three-year contract, like let's say it's a three years and they say, well, at the end, in that last year, he's got to probably worth 6.5, somewhat 7 million. And the Rangers are going to be like, well, right now, technically speaking, he's worth 5 mil, but he's only got to get more. So maybe it's a 5.6. Maybe. I, I don't, I don't, I don't see them. I don't see them going above five. Really. I, I feel like they'll, if it, they'll keep it lower. Um, like around five, I, I don't really see them going very high for him. Um, I, I, you know, I don't know. I just, I don't, I don't see that happening on this deal. Um, now Miller's a completely different scenario. I really, Miller scares me because he could really just break the bank. I feel like he's played so well this year. Um, it's really tough to gauge. I think I think it's probably five million. That's, that's yeah. I, I feel like I feel like they're actually. They could get like very similar contracts. Yeah, I if if Filipinos could probably get more, but it, Miller Miller's Miller for me is like a five million dollar deal. Like he doesn't put enough points 
to get to that six mil, but it's enough where it's he's he's gonna hit 40 points this year, probably. Oh, a hundred percent. But I'm just saying that he doesn't play power play one time. No, he doesn't, you know. So true. I mean, listen, 40 points, 100 percent but I'm saying is he's not that power play one quarterback. He's not the number one offensive player. He's not even an offensive defenseman. He's kind of a two-way guy. So yeah, no, I I'm thinking more with him, 5 million. Um, we have a few other questions, but I figured this is the last question because we got to get on to stir the pot here uh, from Brian. What would your ideal lineup be come playoff time? And what do you want Drury to do uh, to, to do until the trade deadline comes? I mean, I, I can answer this super quick. It's very easy. I want that uh, ATM line. Uh, I want Artemi, Tarasenko, Mika. Uh, I want the kid line um, running at number two. I don't want them at number three. I want them to get more time. Um, I want uh, Mott, Goudreau, uh, Mott, Goudreau, VC as a uh, as a fourth line. Uh, and then the third line, some some type of mixture of Trocheck, Kreider, and, and uh, uh, Kratzoff. Sorry, I, I forgot his name too. Uh, yeah, exactly the same. Basically, I want Friday's lineup forever and ever. And then if you trade Kratzoff, I want um, Gautier in with Kreider and Trocheck. And then, yeah, fourth line, VC, Goodrow. And hopefully Mott, inter fourth line guy, and that's it. So yeah, a pretty easy question to answer there. What about you, Berkey? Pretty much the same exact thing. Get Mott, complete that shutdown fourth line with Mott, Goudreau, and VC. Try Gauthier mm-hmm. with Kreider and Trocheck, a hundred percent. I think now, I would also throw out. Look, if if there, if you were going to add, I know that we're. We're kind of all. Uh, I don't know if he's gonna, you know, step on the question later or not. But I know we are all kind of against trading. We've all spoken about that. We don't need to keep talking about it. But yeah, if you were going to add something, I think that third line right wing. Um, that, and if you're not gonna play him, if you are gonna trade him, a piece there. I don't know what that piece is. I don't know what it looks like quite yet. You threw out a few names already. Um, that that person there would be the only other option. I, I do like the idea of having VC, Goudreau, and Mott all on a fourth line together. Uh, but, yeah. Yeah, I, and honestly, I think that, that Gautier does slot in well with those two. I mean, I, I just – I like what Gautier adds with his speed and his strength and his nose for the net. Uh, that I think if he had consistent minutes with actually talented line mates, um, I, I, I think he could be a great, a great fill-in there. Um, I don't think the Rangers take that, though, so I think it's kind of a long shot that that happens. But, yeah. I mean, what if they get a guy like Domi for that third line? You got Kreider, Chocek, and Domi now. And he's he's, I'm not... he's making $3 million. He, They could retain 50 which is $1.5. Yeah, I've, I've never just... been a big Domi guy. Yeah, I was just going to say the same thing. I've never been a fan of his. Even when he was in Arizona and he, put it, he had like a big year in Arizona before he was traded to Montreal. I, I just never – every time I would look at him, like, oh, like – because it's a big name. You know what I mean? Obviously, his dad is such a big presence. So, like, I hear the name and I look and I'm like, I just – I don't love – I don't love his game. Um, and I, just the, from the few times I've seen him play, it's my own gut. 
you know, reaction to it. Yeah, I mean, like, he probably is your kind of ideal add to a third line like that. Um, he's probably exactly the kind of character that I think fits in for that. I just, I've just never really liked him. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. Um, I mean, I mentioned this before, but like, what if the Rangers are confident enough where Nyquist would be available playoffs? You could literally, you could get that guy for cheap. You could probably throw in a a fourth and a fifth, and that fifth becomes a third if he plays 100% in the playoffs. And they would retain 50%. Now, there is, you have to have these two fixes because there's always going to be that one team, right, that tries to take that gamble. So why would they you know, give them to you and they have to retain 50%. So you'd probably have to give them, again, the fourth and a fifth and that fifth become a third if they 100% plays in the playoffs. It, it seems like something like if they want the Crider line and the kid line to get even minutes, I mean, I'm not 100% in agreement to this, but if they want to, they probably want a better addition that could somewhat keep up with second line minutes and have the skill. Um, that just seems like the only guy that wouldn't cost an arm and a leg. Yeah, although I, I was just gonna say I, I'm like I thought he was done for the year. Um, it was it was weird because they and said then he was I just done. yeah. It's, well, I, what I'm reading right now is he'll miss the rest of the oh regular season. His shoulder injury won't require surgery. Uh, so yeah, uh, I mean I guess yeah if you if you could make like some conditional deal but man i i don't know like I, again i i'm i'm fine with holding pat right now i really don't need another shiny toy right now right um, as long as you get the reliable player for the fourth line like if they had the cap space to do both go for it but you're gonna have to pick between that gamble and a guy like mon or someone else so yeah i i would yeah Ma- Ma- Ma's more of my uh, i he's priority one for me i think yep yeah and like it doesn't have to be him. It's just the reason why I say him so much is because you've seen it work. Rather it worked the, already, right? Rather than the other guys, is you're not so sure. So yeah, I, I guess that ends the uh, Q and A mailbag segment. Uh, we'll go to stir the pot, Brett. All you. All right. So here's an interesting question. I don't want you to give just a knee jerk reaction because I know how it sounds. But if you have a team that is comprised entirely of Adam Foxes playing all the positions except for goalie. You have a league average, just your absolute replacement level goalie. Does that team win the Stanley Cup? Keep in mind the playoff physicality and size and also completely getting worked on face-offs because I doubt he's going to be winning very many face-offs, not that that's the end of the world, but just consider all those aspects. Does that team win a Stanley Cup? I don't think they win a cup, but I think they win a round or two. I, I, I just I just think he's so he's so smart. If like if I think, got, I think they get to like the Eastern Conference final. I don't think they win the cup. Maybe they get to the final, but I I no, I don't think they win the cup, but they get real. Why? Wins. Why? 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 I feel like the physicality will come into play at a certain point. If if every if 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 you know uh I just feel like at, at a certain point, if they're all the same, you know. If they're all the same, it becomes predictable. Uh, I just feel like that eventually will run its course, and and you could possibly get rubbed off of a lot of different scenarios. You know what I mean? That's that's the only reason, though. It's just physicality for me. I think the other parts, like there's, he's so smart and savvy, and then just just calm with the puck. That I feel like if you had 
you know, an entire team of that, that, that'll get you pretty far. I'm just trying to think, like, if you would have told us an elite-level goalie, yes. But, like, yeah, the, average, the average goalie is, That would have been too easy, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no. The average goalie... Yeah, I'm, I mean, just I, think about just think about Adam Fox, like how, how smart he is and how good he is dishing off the puck. But then the guy that he dishes off the puck to is just Adam Fox again. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's very intriguing. It, 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 you know, because I, I agree that physicality is a factor on this. But when I really start thinking about it, I'm like, I feel like if Adam Fox is passing to no one but Adam Fox, then it almost doesn't even matter because like they're not going to be able to touch him. Like it's so rare that he actually gets planted by anybody ever because he's so good at like predicting the play and avoiding things that while the physicality, obviously his size would be a concern. I feel like they'd be able to avoid it so well that it would just be like, it'd be like playing against, you know, uh, like children, you know, like where they just, they're just skating around and they can't possibly ever. Cause it's like, if you attack Adam Fox, he dishes it off. And now that guy is also Adam Fox. What are you going to do? Attack him? What are you going to do? Give him space to work? Like, how do you play against that? I'm just trying to think you're like, who who would they fear? Who who would you have them theoretically play in the cup? Uh, let's just say Colorado, as they are now. Yeah. Or. Yeah, I mean, let's just say everyone that they they get back to where they should really be. They're the team that comes out. They're all healthy because they're really lacking in that second line center, aren't they? Really are right now. Yeah, I'm saying let's say that they're healthy and they're rolling like they should be. Because, like, I know this may sound very silly. Because if you would have told me Dallas, like, if you would have told me, if it's Foxes versus Colorado, I'm I'm taking Foxes because Georgiev. Yep. You're taking who? Okay. Oh, oh, oh. Um, okay, yeah. And if it's Dallas, what, what what do you think against Dallas then? I think Dallas is a deeper team that's better. They're just more They're more physical and also that, which, yeah. which kind of a, speaks to what we yeah. were saying before. That's why I was saying with Dallas. Um, they also have Ottinger too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they're not. They're not winning versus Dallas. Though Colorado, I think they can. It's just, yeah, like you said, like Fox is passing it to Fox. Who's passing it <laughs> to Fox? Like, how do you, how do we even, it's literally like. Did, did you, you think ever, of, like, uh, did you think of, did you just like watch the last Spider-Man movie and think of this question? No, no, actually it was, uh, it was a reply that I had to somebody a while ago on Twitter where I was just like, I think a team of Adam Fox is like, I it, I was arguing with some boomery dude that was talking about the team being too soft and not physical enough. And you have to be that in order to win. I was like, it's not necessarily true. There've been teams that haven't that have won the cup that haven't been like a ground and pound kind of team. And I just said, do you really think a team of Adam Foxes wouldn't win a cup? Uh, of course, that would be implying that we have Chef Sturkin in net too. So I just oh, wanted yeah, to make no, this. No, no. I want to make this just for the fun of the conversation. I wanted to make it a little more, give you a little more pause instead of just instantly going, yeah. Like, give give us a name of the average. Give us a name of the average goalie is. Mm. Uh, I don't even know if he is the average goalie, but but I just want to. Uh, Let's just go. Uh, let's just go with Flower for right now. You have Flower in that. I would say yeah, they can win a cup. I well, Flower is so unpredictable. 
That's a thing. I, yeah. I, I, I know. That's he, why he I get, wanted to throw a little he, wrench in the words. He, he, I wanted to get a little more specific, more detailed, understand, and, and you just made it like ten times. Uh, I know. I know. More questionable. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, he he could just like turn on his Vesnazel or, or just totally fall apart. Um, do I think they can? Absolutely. But man, that is that is basically a coin flip. Yeah. All right. I think those are uh, those good answers. I'm satisfied with that. Yeah, um, let's uh let's move on to the next segment here. Uh, gambling, gambling corner. Gambling Luca. corner. Oh. It is all right. So uh, this is this is gonna be the Mark Messier guarantee corner. Um now obviously it's a little different since the the next game the Rangers play is on a Wednesday night. Uh so no lines are out yet, but I conventional wisdom would think the Rangers are gonna be favored minus one and a half. Um, just from the fact that Vancouver, we beat them last week and they're not that great of a team. Um, I feel like that's going to be what I would take that. Um, I would 100% take that over, uh, over the other option. Um, but I would also kind of, and the, the overrunner, I'd love to see what the overrunner is and maybe you can have some fun with that as well, but, uh, we won't get that for a few days at least. But there's three players that I want to highlight that I think are going to score this week. So that's going to be either in the Vancouver or in the Western Canada swing, we'll just say. I think Kreider's due. He hasn't scored in a while. I feel like he's 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 very due for a goal. Um, now I'm not saying make it the first goal of the game bet, but I'm just saying he's going to score a goal. I feel like this week at some point he's going to get going soon. Um, I feel like he's been moving a lot in the lineup. Um, I feel like he's one player that hasn't really benefited from the moving. Um, I feel like he's going to kind of get off the schneid a little bit soon. I think Fox is going to score a goal sometime soon. I feel, he, he's, he's due a little bit as well. Um, and another one, he scored last night. Uh, it was an empty netter, obviously, but Kako. I feel like these three players are going to score a goal at some point this week. Um, yeah, you could just super parlay that into a, a fun Wednesday night. Um, but I wouldn't. Uh, I feel like those, those three guys are due. Um, now, obviously, it's Super Bowl Sunday. Um, I want to know what you guys think of who's going to win the game tonight. Obviously, this isn't hockey, but since it's Super Bowl Sunday, what, who are your picks? Uh, so, I mean, obviously, the favorite are the Eagles. Um, I haven't followed up on any reports about what Mahomes' uh, ankle looks like. Um, and to me, that's everything. If he's back to being able to be mobile, I think the Chiefs actually win this game. I think the Eagles are going to come in overconfident, and I think they have enough to to do it. If he's playing hobbled uh, like he was before, then the Eagles probably steamrolling. It's probably not even a fun game. Um, so that's where I'm at with it. Um, Berkey, do you have any opinion on that before I get to my Rangers game? Um, zero, because uh... – I, pro- I probably I, – I only follow the NHL. I don't follow any other sport. Um, Can you even name the Eagles quarterback? I'm curious. What? Can you even name the Eagles quarterback? I'm curious. Wait, I'm sorry. Can, can you can you say that again? Can you name the Eagles quarterback? I, I can't even – I was trying to stall time to try to look him up. and <laughs> pretending the audio was cutting That's off. actually really funny. I was like, what is he doing? I see, I just see you like, 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 you're, you're like, bend, like, like picking up your phone. 
<laughs> that's, that's all right. That's all right. Um, I was trying to stall, but uh, yeah, I, I couldn't, I couldn't buy that. I, I, I really only like if I'm like with my friends and like they're watching the Super Bowl, I'll watch the Super Bowl with them, like with the atmosphere and all that. Other than that, I, I just, I have hockey. That's really it for me. You just give all your love to hockey. That's totally fine. Totally fine. Yeah. Uh, uh, Luca, what do you think? Uh, what's your pick? Uh, I think Chiefs and I think the over. I think the over is 51 and a half right now. I think it's going to be – I could be completely wrong, but I feel like it's going to be a high-scoring game. I like that. Um, yeah. I might, I, might, uh, I might throw a little at that. Yeah. Um, On- one of the guys at my bar last night, if anyone wants to throw in uh, the, another part of the gambling corner right here, obviously no one's – actually gonna be able to do this since this comes out on monday and the game will be over but one of the regulars at my bar uh goes to the same gym that bill cower goes to bill cowers bet for the super bowl is chiefs 26 eagles 19 so wow maybe maybe, maybe just throw some money on that final score who knows i don't know that was bill cowers guess okay i like that i like that um so the upcoming games for the rangers what would i uh what i like when I look at the uh, just the odds as they have been lately, um, is that I think DraftKings, especially that's the app that I usually use, undervalues a hot player's goal scoring chances um, as long as they don't have a huge goal scoring total. So uh, right now, Hedl and Tarasenko, I think, are undervalued. You're usually getting somewhere like a plus two, plus two fifty for um, for them. So you parlay those two together as goal scorers. I really like those. You can get some really nice odds um, by doing that. I think uh, another one of my little strategies that that I'll give out that I really like doing that has helped um, keep my bank account intact, even as I'm losing my big reaching parlays, is what I do is I, I usually have like an absurd parlay. Like I'll bet like, oh, Hedl, Tarasenko, and then I'll pick two goal scorers for their opponents as well to score. So you get like crazy plus two, three, four, five thousand odds and throw like five bucks at that. Cause then it's like five bucks to win 400 bucks or whatever. And I just think the value on that is great. And especially sometimes you get lucky and you hit those, uh, those, those four goal scores, but even just a two parlay with like two good goal scores, like Hito and Tarasenko is a good one. But then what I always do is I always cover my bet. So I always want to, I'll ha- I'll just have like an even odds bet, like a Zibby to score, which is, you know, pretty decent one to have happen. So a lot of times I'll, I won't hit my big parlay, but I'll hit my easy one single goal score, and that'll cover the bet so I'm not actually losing money. I think it's just a really good way to bet in general is to have an easy, a way easier even odds bet just to win your money back so you're not just constantly stringing together losses when you're shooting for the fences or swinging for the fences, rather, on a parlay. Um and then to uh, repeat what Lucas said, Fox scoring, I think, is always a great bet because um, he doesn't score, may not score, you know, a ton, but his, and that's why his odds are great. They're usually somewhere between plus 400 to like, I think I've even seen him as high as plus 700, which is just insane value because even though he may not score every game, he is a threat to score every game and he has chances to score every game. And when you're really the betting, puck is on his stick so much, so much that he's always a threat. And when you look at the players that have similar odds to him, it's oh they're not the type of players that are always a threat to score. They're way longer shot odds. So they're not handicapping him properly, I don't feel. So he's always a good one to throw in as an anytime goal scorer or uh, as another parlay to really juice up your odds if you're trying to do one of those 
five bets to win 500. I think he's a great person to add on there. And those are my picks for the Mark Messier guaranteed picks for the week here. Yeah, I, I got to go with Luka here with the crowd. He, he's absolutely due for a goal. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I got to agree with that. I'm just trying to think here that maybe I don't think Tarasenko gets a goal versus Vancouver. I think there's a game where they get adjusted, whether it's the Lions, whether it's his teammates. And then I think the next game he scores. That's why I think Hedl is a good bet. Hedl yeah. and Crowder together. Um, I, I think that's that's the one I'd probably do. That's solid. Especially Hedl getting PP, PP one time now, too. You got Yeah, exactly. That. And I don't think they've reflected that on his odds yet. So while they're still unaware of the beast that has been unleashed in Hedl, go get that free money, guys. Yep. All righty. So I guess we're almost done here. Uh, Luca, top five. All right. Yeah. So we're going to finish this week's top five. Obviously, a little bit Super Bowl themed as well. Um, but, you know, for Berkey, it's not just going to be top five Super Bowls. It's top five championships that you've, you could say, you, I mean, I've only, I only picked ones that I've been able to watch in my life. Um, now, you know, it could just be something you, you go back to a lot, you know, like the 1980 Olympics, but you know, I wasn't alive watching it. So I'm not going to really put that one in. So it's, uh, top five championships, um, that for you. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll kick mine off here and I'll pull mine up. Sorry. Um, now there's a few ones that like made honorable mention, but I'm not going to go into those, but the 2003 ALCS, um, obviously, you know, there's some baseball fans, obviously who are, you know, Ranger fans, maybe listening. That was the Aaron Boone home run against the Red Sox, uh, in game seven, uh, to send the Yankees to the world series that year. Uh, they ended up losing to the Marlins, but it was a incredible um, seven game series. And game seven was just absolutely madness. Um, that one was unbelievable. Uh, but yeah, that that that's my top. That's my five. Nice. Uh, my number five is going to be the 2019 Stanley Cup Final: uh, the Blues versus the Bruins. Um, the reasoning being, I hate the Bruins with an absolute passion. All Boston sports. Uh, teams and fans uh i fucking hate them i hate brad marchand like any good hockey fan when he should. was crying that was one of the most satisfying moments it was exactly and and when he had that terrible like literally the worst line change i've ever seen in my life that resulted in a goal at right at the end of the period and then seeing him on the bench just like in tears i mean the schadenfreude in my heart just it was just it was just massive it was like i was the grinch and it was it was it was growing black and like five different sizes uh, bigger because I was just so happy. So, uh, yeah, my number number five, 2019 Stanley Cup final. So the, my my list, by the way, is going to be ridiculed, roasted, 100%. If it's not by you guys, it's by people on Twitter. Because <laughs> the thing is, like, I only watch hockey, right? I only watch hockey. So, and the problem is there's not a lot of to choose from because a lot of teams I hate won in the past decade. Whether it's Pittsburgh, it's Washington, it's Chicago, it's LA, like screw them all. Um, so this one was tough, but I mean, number five, honestly, was just kind of just the fill in. The rest kind of makes sense for me. Five was just Colorado because I have nothing else. <laughs> That's it. I'm not picking Pittsburgh. I'm not picking Washington. Um, there, there, are, there are two non hockey uh, championships in this, but obviously Colorado wouldn't go above them. So that's really all I got. 
I got uh, you. You had to fill out the top five. Um, my my number four is the nineteen ninety six World Cup of Hockey. Um, I vividly remember watching this. I believe it was ninety six. Um, Mike Richter had probably one of the, and this isn't this is coming from Theo Fleury in his biography. He said Mike Richter put on the best goaltending performance that entire tournament that he's ever seen a goalie play. Um, it was one of the coolest tournaments, obviously. It was the first time the U well, first time in a long time the US had beaten Canada. Um, it was it was really just a an incredible uh, tournament to watch, especially as a kid. I was like six years old. Um so the nineteen ninety I believe it was nineteen ninety six uh World Cup of hockey. I believe it was wasn't it still called the Canada Cup at that point? Or had they already switched it? I think they switched. I think that was the first year they went with. Was World that the Cup. first with World Cup yeah. instead of Canada? Because that because that tournament had always been known as the Canada Cup. But yeah, uh, I remember that. And yeah, Richter absolutely stood on his head. He was the only reason the USA won. Yeah, yeah, that was incredible performance, legendary. It's a good pick. I like that. Uh, number four for me is going to be the 2006 World Cup final between Italy and France. Um, and the reasoning being that Zinedine Zidane is. I think the best uh, soccer player ever. And a lot of people are going to be like, are you fucking crazy? But no, I'm not because that guy single-handedly dragged that team to the world cup finals. Um, you watch his highlight reel. Like, and I encourage all of you, all you listeners that even give even a, the minorest little bit about soccer, uh, watch his highlight reel and tell me that that's not the best highlight reel in soccer because it is. He he could take over a game like no one else could. He was a one-man, 11-man team, and he could just cut through absolutely everybody. And even him at the end of his career was still the only reason that France went to the final, which is why his famous headbutt, I have no – people said that was selfish, blah, blah, blah. I No, he had every right to do that, both for what was said, but also because that team wouldn't have been there without him anyway. So he had every right to be like, you know what, I don't care. I'm going to do this right now. And I loved it. And it was one of the most shocking things I've ever seen in a championship game. So that's my number four. Yeah, I remember watching that, and I saw the headbutt. I was, and I just remember sitting there, and I was just like, did he just do that? Like, And I was just like that. It, it was absolutely – mind-boggling when i saw that it was insane yep so number four is the giants in 2008 uh so basically here's the thing i don't remember a lot of that game i was like i think nine years old it was it was the atmosphere like there was a party um it was just an incredible atmosphere i watched i watched the game obviously though uh but don't remember a lot of it i just remember it being an incredible game an incredible party um so yeah like to clarify we are we are doing what we watch not what yeah stuff that you were around for you know so we were around for not like oh 1994 rangers yeah that that was great like sure i watched the, the recording of it a thousand times but it wasn't live um yeah yeah that, that's kind of it for me uh giants 2008 gotcha um i don't know why i have to look at my list every time uh, number three for me, uh, the NFC Championship game in 2012. I was actually lucky enough to be at this one. This is when the Giants played San Francisco. Um, game went into overtime. Kyle Williams, um, who I actually went to Arizona State with at the same time that he was there, um, he had a fumble, uh, which was just 
on a punt return. It hit his foot and like he acted like it didn't hit him. And then the Giants ended up recovering it. Uh, and it was, it, I don't know if the game went to overtime. I don't even remember that. It was just the most insane game. Um, I got a bottle thrown at my head. Uh, I was doing this. I stood up and was doing the salsa on top of the chair. Uh, we had insane seats that were like lower level. I think we like 17. So we we're like right behind where the game winning field goal was kicked. Um, it was absolutely insane. It was one of the cool, it was at the old candlestick park too. So it's like, it had like that weird, uh, like Yankee stadium vibe of like, you know, uh, a stadium that you or like an arena or stadium that has like so much history, even like Madison Square Garden. Um, so it, it was a really just incredible, uh, game obviously to watch and obviously the Giants won. Um, but that, that one was amazing. Very good. I thought we were going with uh, – I didn't realize we could have a conference championships in this. But, hey, you know, yeah, it's a championship I, I, I game. My, but, hey, it's a good I started story. Going it's a good through story. It. I started going through it. I'm like, like championship, and I'm like, you know what? I went to this one. And it would have made my day much easier for the record. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I probably should have uh, clarified that. My bad. Hey, that's all right. That's all right. I like it. Um, I did say I did say in the text message, make your own rules. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. It's yeah. I I, it's I thought story, you meant because so I, I asked, I like are you it. talking about like the last game in the series, or are you talking about the series in general? Yeah, yeah. Do what you got to do. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's all right. I mean, it actually helps because um, I messed up mine, and I have number three to fill here. So, whoops. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. We'll we'll we'll, we'll go to Brett first. While you right. three. Yeah, so number three for me is going to be the Giants beating the Pats in in 2012. I'm not even a Giants fan. Um, I don't. I'm not a hater or anything. Like, um, you know, they're fine. They're always a team that I'm like, oh, okay, good for them. You know, um, but they're not my team by any means. Um, but at that point, I absolutely just hated the New England Patriots with all my soul. Um, yep. And so seeing them go down again was just so sweet, and just the drama of that game too of the, the Patriots being shut out in the fourth quarter. Um, it was just, just incredible. So I, I, I um, as far as Super Bowls go, that's the one that stands out most in my mind, even though, you know, it's, it wasn't my team winning, but it felt great having my most hated team being the one um, that, uh, um, that won. So, or lost rather. So yeah. Does Berkey have a number three now, or do I need to vent more? So I kind of want that now. Now that I know we could do Eastern Conference Final, that kind of makes it my number one. So okay, so bear with me here. This this one's gonna be very boring, and then the second the second and first one are are actually gonna be something to talk about. Again, not a football fan at all, but by Giants in 2012. That's basically it. Again, I don't follow any other sports. So unless if they're going to the championship and obviously the Rangers only made it once and that's not in my top five. Um, so yeah, kind of Giants 2012, great atmosphere party. Love the game. Um, again, another very boring answer. Um, but yeah, that that's very that's that's it. Just process of, of elimination. I mean, I, I, it's it's actually interesting because you just said the Super Bowl 46. Or Brett said 46. You just said Super Bowl 46. And my number two is going to be Super Bowl 46. Um, there you go. There I go. mean, like, look, I, I'm a huge Giants fan. I'm a huge football fan. But uh, that one obviously was it, – it, it just cemented so much because um, as a Giant fan, obviously, like, 
everyone just said, oh, like the Giants got lucky. Eli, Eli got lucky in Super Bowl 42. Uh, and then the plays that he made in Super Bowl 46 in the, in the last two minutes to solidify his place in history and just win. Um, it, it was one of the cooler uh, Super Bowls, obviously. And then every time they've made it uh, with Eli, it was just an absolute, like, unbelievable Super Bowl. Each time was just really right down to the end. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Super Bowl 42 was, was amazing. Um, I, I wasn't there, uh, but it was it was amazing. Nice. Uh, number two, and this is one that is, because I assume we have probably mostly an American uh, listening audience here. And if you didn't know, I, I am I am Canadian, but I live in the States. I'm actually a dual citizen. So, um, but my allegiance on any international sports always goes to Canada first. Um, so this is probably going to be pretty predictable with all that, but that's Canada over USA in hockey and OT in 2010. I was watching that. I was managing a restaurant at the, actually at that point, and I had to go into work. And I told my boss, "I can't start working. You have to watch the front of the house because I have to watch this game. It's that important to me." And luckily, he was a sports fan. He wasn't a hockey fan, but he was a sports fan, so he got it. And I went yeah. into uh, a private room that was just off of the restaurant, um, like connected by a door that was closed, and watched that game. And I'm also noted. Sidney Crosby hater, um, but he has a special tiny little spot carved out in my heart for scoring that goal against Ryan Miller and winning that. And when that happened, I jumped in the air and screamed. And then my boss peeked his head and was like, are you quite done now? Because guests were just complaining about the screaming that was happening from the private room because uh, I just couldn't contain myself. So of, of all the things that I've watched, that was uh, uh, right up there for – how excited I was for for my team to win. That's that, that that's pretty funny. Okay, so for number two, finally a not so boring answer is when St. Louis beat Boston. Just the look on Brad Martian's face was enough. I mean, for the Blues to go to TD Garden in Game Seven, beat them four to one, we're up two nothing. Like Petrangelo, once he scored, I believe in like I think it was thirty seconds left in the first. If I'm not mistaken, he had a gorgeous backhander, two nothing, and I mean, it it was amazing to watch. Hate the Bruins, it, it it was just very satisfying to see. And also, Jordan Bennington's game seven was unbelievable, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like now, obviously, he's a bit of a nut job, but like, yeah, a hundred percent in that game seven. He was it was it was it was a phenomenal game seven performance. I remember watching that, and, you know, obviously rooting heavily against the Bruins. Um, but that was his game seven performance was phenomenal. I just remember being like, wow, that's he really just kind of he shut the door like they had no chance in game seven. Uh, Boston, the only goal they scored was, I think, with like a, two minutes left. Yeah, and it meant nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, two minutes left in the, in the third. Yeah. Yes. Um. So number one for me is going to be Super Bowl Forty Two. You guys had already mentioned it. What? Uh, what? Wait, hold on a second. You're telling me that your list doesn't contain the '94 Rangers winning the cup? I was three years old. Okay. All right. Fair enough. I would want to put it on, okay. um, but like I also like 
I, I distinctly, it's like my first sports memory, I, but I distinctly remember being sent to bed and I didn't watch the game. Oh, I didn't watch the game trailer. man. I was, I, was, I was three, three and a half years old, so I probably would have fell asleep anyway. Okay. Um, yeah. But like, right, I, I couldn't, you know what I mean? Like, I can't reasonably yeah, that's say fair. that. And then also, you know what I mean? Like, uh, but it's, it's going to be Super Bowl 42 for me. I was a freshman at Arizona State and luckily, lucky enough to actually go to the game. Um, and I, my, me and my brother got tickets. We bought them on StubHub. They were, I think, eighteen hundred dollars. Um, took me an entire year to pay him back. Um, and it was the coolest thing in the world going to a Super Bowl. I obviously thought that the Giants were going to lose. Um, I thought they could win, but like I did not. I wouldn't have bet money they were going to win. So the entire time I'm there, I'm just nervous that we just spent $1,800 and we're going to see them get absolutely like shit pumped by the Patriots. And then the game starts and they have the Giants have like an eight minute drive to start the game. And I'm like, this might be good. This might be a, this might work. And uh, dude, it, it was, I, I recommend it for anyone. If your team ever makes it to the Super Bowl, you go. It's just, it's just, it's just a rule I have because you never know what the hell is going to happen. Um, and man, it was, it was definitely one of the coolest days ever. Just being there, uh, when they won was just unbelievable. Nice. Man, that's a good story, man. Um, and yeah, I guess if you're three years old, I don't follow you. I, I do sometimes forget that I'm the old man on this podcast here. Um, I was also putting handcuffs in the parking lot before the game started, but we can just leave that. <laughs> wow. No, 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 no. Go on. Why? <laughs> So, and and I actually, it was funny. I brought this story up to, there was a cop that came into my bar and I was just like, you know what, man, I'm going to ask you this question. Cause I was putting handcuffs about 15 years ago. Uh, and so they just started this rule at the Super Bowl around that time that you couldn't tailgate and didn't tell anyone. So a cop came up to us an undercover cop. My brother was getting the keys cause we can only park in a valet spot. So my brother's off getting keys for the valet to put like a cooler back into the car and we'll go into like a bar and just get something to eat before the game. This undercover cop in a red hoodie comes up to me he and he's just like looks at me and like at no point does he look like a cop, say he's a cop or have anything that remotely resembles what a cop would wear. And, and he's like, have you been drinking? And I'm like, no. And he's and he's like, I don't believe you. And I'm like, OK. And now keep in mind, I had a sip of beer, a single sip. Um, and he walks up to me, takes his hand like this. And for everyone listening, he like puts a cone over his nose and leans into my face and goes, blow into my uh, nose. I don't believe you. And I'm like, I like recoil. And I'm like, dude, get away from me. And I just turn to like walk away throws my hand behind my back and then throws me up against the car. And he's just like, you have the right to remain silent. But and I'm like, what, what did I do? And so my brother comes back from the ballet with the car keys and he's just like, and he just sees me in handcuffs. He's like, what the hell did you do? I, I was like, I did nothing. And so the entire time, like this is going on, like the cop basically just writes me a citation for like a minor consumption and all this bullshit. I had to pay like a $300 fine. That was it. Uh, but it was just like, and it was just like, this is all like three hours before the Super Bowl. And he just kept saying, he's like, you want to go see your Super Bowl? You want to go see the Super Bowl? And I'm like, yeah, dude, I want to go see the Super Bowl. I spent $1,800 to get put in jail. Yeah, that's what I wanted to do. Um, so yeah, that was, that was my Super Bowl 42 uh, pregame. 
Wow. I mean, like he didn't have anything better to be doing than to be harassing. How old were you at that point? I, I had just turned 18. Like, I never understood why cops really cared. Like, if it was like some well, like 13 year old delinquent running around with a bottle of booze, I can understand it being like, hey, buddy, you got to stop doing it. But like, how do you not have something better to do than like 18 year olds are going to drink? And like, as long as at, they're not like, at the Super Bowl. Pool, yeah. But also, this, this is the crazy part. They, so when I went to the court date to like pay the fine, all of the New Yorkers and New Englanders, even if you were 50 or 60 years old, had to fly out for the court date and just like pay the citation in person. Wow. So when I went, there was just like a bunch of miserable like New Yorkers and like New Englanders that were back. Brutal. And just like, like they, had to, they had to fly back like four months later. I was luckily I went uh. to school there. So all I had to do was jump in a car. Um, wow. Because, they, yeah, they gave all these citations out because like you couldn't drink in public. And it, they were like they didn't make any exception to the rule for the Super Bowl. It was so stupid. What a waste of time and resources all to punish people for doing like the most human thing ever, which is celebrate in a celebratory event. Yeah. I mean, open container laws like that are just garbage anyway, but you know what? We won't go further down the, yeah. the, the, the political rabbit hole here. All right. Um, great story. though. Thanks for telling me. I appreciate that. Uh, mine obviously is going to be Rangers 1994. I don't need to say anything specifically about the game so much as just sharing that I was a young boy at that point still. Um, I was like 10 years old and my cousin Greg Adams was playing for the Vancouver Canucks. Um, and I'd been cheering him on throughout the whole uh, uh, Western Conference Finals, which is obviously not what it was called back then, but um, sharing for him, and he actually played really well throughout the playoffs. In fact, he in the uh, uh, Conference Finals, he scored uh, the game tying goal, sent it to overtime for them to to win. So he was a very key player uh, for the Canucks at that point too, not just some fourth line scrub sort of thing. Um, so if he, if the Canucks had won uh, that series, you know, we would have got to visit him and you know hold. You know, spend the day with Stanley, uh, which would have been absolutely incredible. It didn't matter for salvation. Yeah, exactly. So, but it didn't matter. I was still cheering against him anyway uh, because I love the Rangers more than anything, um, and that's why I was cheering for him. Uh, but it was like a great. I mean, it was just like the ideal, you know, no lose situation. That if it was like either my favorite team wins the Stanley Cup or my second favorite team with my cousin on it wins the Stanley cup and I get to go see it. So it was an amazing series uh, for that. It was also just a great series in general, but. Well, just quick question. I, I obviously I've watched it a thousand times, but by the time I watch it, I know the outcome and that final face off. Do you think they might've scored? They would score there. I don't know if you remember, but like New Jersey scored with like how, how many seconds left to bring game seven into overtime? Three seconds, right? Yeah, it was something like that. Yeah. Did you did you ever think Vancouver was maybe going to like tie it up in the last few seconds? Or was it clear? Uh, you know, honestly, I don't remember my I don't remember that. You're 10. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, I don't you, remember that in that great detail. What I I do remember I remember at that point just being like I just like I mean, I was an ADHD kid, so I was like bouncing off the walls anyway. And I just remember being bouncing off the walls excited. Um, so I don't really remember any anxiety like I'd probably have now. I think I was like full tilt, ready to explode already. That's my vivid memory of that moment. Okay. So since Luca was able to break the rules, I'm, I'm allowed to break the rules here. 
Um, the Eastern Conference Finals of 2014 is probably yeah. it for me. I mean, just that game five. I'm sorry, not game five. Uh, that game six, it was just nuts. Like when they won, you, you thought like I wasn't there, but like the people there were saying the roof is going to fall off. It, yeah. It, I mean – it was an amazing series, and I know what the Montreal Canadiens fans are going to say about Kreider, about this, blah, blah, blah. Uh, the point is, though, you still got dominated throughout besides that one game, which was game five. Yeah. I mean, so, yeah, that, that was kind of it for me. A bit all anticlimactic for a number one, but, again, Rangers haven't won. No, not at all. I mean, that was a, that was a sick uh, I mean, obviously, it's the Rangers podcast, so it's probably best that we had finished with that one. I think my <laughs> brothers were—I think my brothers were both at that game. Wow, that's wow! That is a great experience. Yeah, I mean, that's why, like I mentioned, like when we were doing our top five favorite Rangers, like obviously it wasn't favorite Ranger like the best, but that's why, like with Brassard, he's just so off the radar. It was just like he always came up clutch. Like big game brass, like that's why I just I love the guy because it was so rare that we had those type of players, and yeah, no, that's just one that st- uh, stuck for me there. So that, that's kind of why again going back to the last or last two top fives. Um, all right, I think that kind of finishes off this podcast episode. Uh, a bit of a long one, yep. but you know, I think we talked about really good stuff here, and uh, yeah. So if all goes to a plan for all the listeners. Uh, we have a pretty, a pretty great guest, uh, next week, really special one. Uh, again, last week, Bill Pito out of the park was an incredible podcast. We have another one to follow that up. Um, so stay tuned for that and yeah, we'll see you guys next time.